Welcome to the Every Nation Taipei Podcast. We're here to help you know God, discover your purpose, grow in your relationships, and make a difference in Taipei, Taiwan, and beyond. We hope this message encourages you today. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be back with all of you, and it feels really surreal. And they like cooked me up to all this stuff that I never used before, so I couldn't even sit down. And and there's been some changes for the church, but it's just so good to see all these familiar faces, and exciting to see many new faces as well. About one year ago, exactly one year ago, this weekend. Our family left Taiwan after seven years of living here, and I made a promise to many of you then that we would be back within a year. So this trip for Jalen and me is really a fulfillment of that promise, and we're going to give you a little bit of our life update, which probably isn't going to be interesting to uh, many of you who don't know our kids, but it'll be interesting to Jalen. She's really nervous about what I'm going to say about her. Um, And then, but I will also want to talk about a message that God really put on my heart, which goes so perfectly with the, the sermon series that you guys are on. It just feels like we're on the same wavelength, even with everything that Bertina was sharing, even the, the songs that uh, Bethany and the team chose to lead us in worship, just really ministered to me. And you'll you'll understand why in a, in a moment because Bertina talked about the Israelites' journey and the Red Sea and all of that, and that's really actually what I'm going to talk about today. So um, we loved our life here, and it was in many ways very hard to move on. And like Bertina was saying, why does God sometimes cause us to go to places and encounter things that don't make sense in that moment? But Life is full of transitions, as we know, and God is able to speak to us in those transitions, in those moments. And sometimes God has new assignments for us, like He did for us, which is why even if you're in a good situation, and we didn't want to leave Taiwan necessarily, because especially because we love this community, but God has something new, and He has greater blessings and assignments for you, and He takes us from one place to the next. And that's happened throughout Scripture. It's a pattern where you see Abraham, you know, go to the place I'm going to show you, and Jacob, go to your uncle's house, and then Joseph, tragically, he goes to Egypt. All these movements happen because God wants to stir us up and get our attention. So that's um, the first, real clear, the most clear word that God spoke to me when we moved back to first Seattle and then New York last summer. Were these words move on? And I haven't actually preached in over a year, except one time last November in Korea when we met with a bunch of the, the campus leaders, and it was really more supposed to be a fun trip. But I preached the same sermon at the Every Nation Korea Church on a Friday night, and uh, so it's going to be a little repetitive for some of you. But that was the message that God gave me, and it goes so well. Like I said, with The series that you guys are on. So, um, whatever situation that we are in, we have to live forward. We can't live backwards. We can't repeat what's happened in the past. And that's exactly what God was speaking to me last summer. 
I know that this church has undergone many very significant transitions recently. The Terwilligers, they served us so well for two plus years, and they're back in Texas where they came from. And in the days and months to come, there will be more leaders that are coming and going. And in all the, these transitions, people might ask, why God, or how are we going to survive these, these shifts? And we can count on the fact, like Bertina said, God is with us. That's the number one promise of God in the Bible. Emmanuel, I will be with you. Even when God gives, gave us the great commission, he said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. So I know that this church is in God's hands and, and it's going to be uh, launched into the greatest joy you've ever known. So before I get into my message, I thought that I would share a little bit of family updates. Is that okay with you? Okay, because I don't want to have to repeat everything you know, every time I meet everybody. Like, yeah, my kids are fine. Because I know everybody wants to know, right? And again, I don't think that a lot of people are going to be that interested in this portion of the sharing, but I know Jalin is very interested. So let's start with her. Do I click here? I don't know where I'm supposed to click. Okay, there we go. Are you cooking for me? Okay, thank you. So here's uh, the most recent picture I have of Jalen at our, our uh, swimming pool at our neighbor's place. And those are her with her, her friends. The, the biggest thing I can tell you about Jalen is that her, probably her favorite verse, do we have that verse, First Thessalonians? Yeah, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. That's like become her main verse. And we needed a break after very hectic years of living in Taiwan. And she's enjoying being a full-time mom without a lot of the sort of like ministry pressure, which is also why she decided not to speak today. But she'll pick that up again someday. But she's really... Uh, enjoying our homemaking and being uh, a mom, of course, to our kids. And she's taken up gardening. And, yeah, she, she's really good with the plants, although she killed a few of them too. <laughs> but she's, she's really, uh, she's also taken on a couple of jobs. So she's now a full-time worker again. So I have a kind of a funny thing here that she asked me, please don't share this, but I have to share it. <laughs> this is my financial advice to you. Two incomes are better than one, so make sure your partner has two jobs. <laughs> Follow me for more financial advice. She actually does have two incomes. She has both hers and mine. So for any of you who are scheduled to meet with her this week, don't be shy about asking her to treat you for a drink or a meal. All right. Next up is our son Jacob, and we have a picture of him that I took with him just two weeks ago in uh, Paris. And we are proud of all of our kids, but we're so grateful for what Jacob has had to overcome this year. As many of you guys know, he attended Morrison Academy, which is a wonderful, safe, nurturing school, Christian private school here in Taiwan. And he was taken out of that abruptly and thrust into this very secular public high school as a freshman where he literally knew no one. And one of his really good friends, who also lives in our neighborhood, told him that in our school, our high school, 90% of the kids 
are very, very dirty, <laughs> like in their mind. They're just filthy kids. And 9%, which make up that boy's friends, are moderately dirty. And then there's that 1%, and that's you. Because he never swears. He doesn't, you know, he tries to uh, honor God, even as difficult as it is. And for us to hear that, it's kind of funny, but we also re recognize the tremendous challenges he has that he's facing. And we're just really proud of him that he's still in the midst of that, being brave and excelling in, in school and music. And he just took two AP exams. You guys might not know what that is, but in America, you have these advanced placement exams as a, as a freshman, as a 14-year-old. Uh, and he got perfect fives in psychology and Chinese. So we're immensely proud of him for, for that, but especially for just his heart of continuing to honor God. And thankfully this summer, he's gonna get a spiritual recharge in Seattle. I'm foreshadowing a little bit, but let's go on to the next kid, Joshua, who uh, is also doing really well. He got high honors and he's was class rep in his school. So he's making friends and he's really taken up cooking which has been a tremendous help to Jalin, because as most of you guys know, I don't cook. I, not that I can't, but I don't. So he's been just wonderful in just helping us around the house and just a, always a joy to be with. Third is our, our Caleb, who is always this fun-loving, uh, trouble-causing kid. And he... Caleb loves baseball. He loves hanging out with his friends. And he's always beating me in chess now. He's really uh, like falling in love with chess. And he is also an honor student, which surprised us. <laughs> because it might speak more to the US public education system than anything else. But we'll take those accolades. And we know he has the potential. He just doesn't try. He just doesn't care about school as much as the others, but that's okay because he, one thing about Caleb, some of you guys know, he has this incredible soft skill of confidence. He'll just go and talk to anybody and just do things. And we mostly love that about him, except when he does these very cringeworthy things that we, we want to stop. But we uh, are very grateful for Caleb. He's adjusting really well. And then finally, we have our, our daughter, Ava, and I was putting her to bed the other night, not other night, a couple weeks ago, and she just exclaimed, Dad, I love my new life. And that's really her. She loves having a big yard. She loves her neighbors, her friends, her classmates that she always has play dates with. And she's just full of joy everywhere she goes. She's the life of the party. And we worry about her the least among our kids because she's just making friends everywhere. But right now, she, we're worried about her the most because she's crying every night because she says she misses mom. And sometimes we have to do FaceTime and uh, try to make her get over it. But it's, it's uh, difficult with the time differences. But all in all, um, I would say that we're, we're so grateful that we're all adjusting really well to our new life. And in fact, the person who struggled the most is me, probably. And I'm not going to get into that today too much. And I'll share more. Jalen and I will share more on, on Tuesday, what we've been up to. But I've had some turmoil with the transitions, so many different transitions happening, and missing you guys, missing a spiritual community. But over time, God has really set me back in a good place. 
uh, just on a personal note, I've joined a couple of boards of nonprofit organizations and gotten really plugged into my home church in Corning, which um, where I'm, I've known the pastors for a number of years, really great church there. So uh, we're doing really well. And my new job that I have will bring me to Asia quite often. So I'm looking forward to visiting you guys more often in the, in the coming years. So uh, finally, let's move on to the, the sermon, which is actually titled, Move On. You guys are clicking, right? Okay. Recently, I was scrolling through social media and I came across this list of mentally strong people. I'm sure you could go online and find a whole bunch of similar lists like this with all kinds of different things in different orders. But this one caught my eye because the first one on the list was mentally strong people move on. You can see some of the other things that they said. And I and thought about it and that goes so well as an intro to what I'm about to share. Because not only do mentally strong people move on, the people of God need to move on. And there's a scripture passage that actually gives an instruction where God is telling his people to move on. And just interestingly enough, I don't know, maybe Bertina saw the slides beforehand, but it's the Red Sea story. It's a famous story. If you're not familiar with it, it's a story of how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were in bondage as slaves for 400 years. So you imagine the slave mentality that they adopted through those generations of being enslaved. And then he brought them to the cusp of salvation, which is to cross the Red Sea. And this turned into the greatest salvation story in Israel's history. So we're going to uh, go into that. Let me read that for you and you can follow along. It comes from Exodus 14 verses 10 through 18. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Amen. As I mentioned, the title of my message is Move On. And those are the two key words that I want us to focus on in this passage today. In the NIV, which is what I'm using here, the New International Version, it says move on. But in some other versions, like the ESV, it says go forward. So live forward, go forward, very similar concepts. Christianity is a religion that is based on faith. We know that, right? 
Many other religions will focus on your actions, your behavior, your works to get up to heaven, which is actually, in my estimation, impossible. But Christianity talks about faith, how all we have to do is put our trust in God, our faith in God, and that is what allows us to be saved. But the way I understand faith and the way that I I read the Bible is that this is a kind of faith that propels us toward action. More specifically, it's a kind of faith that makes us say no to the things that are holding on to us, are holding us back in the past, and says yes, action that, that takes us forward into this amazing destiny that God has for us. And we can see that in this passage today. I don't have time to get into all the background, but like I was mentioning, the Israelites in this context were, had this severe victim-slave mentality where they were enslaved for so many years under a very harsh rule of Pharaoh. So anytime they came across an adverse situation like this, and they went through it for 40 years in the wilderness, they were so quick to complain and grumble. They complained against their leader, Moses, who wasn't perfect, but he was God's anointed leader. And it's so easy when you have this this slave, wounded, victim mentality to be so, so quick to get upset and blame and grumble and complain and even let your faith erode and be replaced by fear. These Israelites were, had witnessed all these powerful acts of God to bring them out of slavery, but they were willing to just abandon ship right away as soon as they saw this hardship coming on. But who could actually blame them, right? If you think about what they were going up against, on one hand, there was this ferocious, angry army of Pharaoh, horses and chariots. On, on the other hand, you have this vast sea that they couldn't cross. So you can see that they had good reason to fear and good reason to question, Moses, what are you doing? I thought you were supposed to take us to this promised land. I thought God spoke to you. We would have been better to just go back. Let's just go back. Let's just be enslaved all over again. But God worked a remarkable victory here, the greatest victory in Israel's history. And he did this by instructing his people to move on. Let's read verse 14 again. If you go to verse 14, when the Israelites were complaining, Moses said to the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. If we, if we were to just stop at that verse, which is what I had thought until last summer, you would easily think salvation, God's work, it's just all about him being active and me being passive, where I just do nothing and I sit, take a break, and I just kind of wait, I guess, for something to happen. But no, there is a verse 15. There is this, uh, of course, you know, Moses probably wanted the Israelites to just be still because they were creating chaos in the camp, complaining and there's a mutiny. But God had something more for Moses to do. It's almost as if God was perplexed or kind of uh, frustrated with Moses. Like, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. The Christianity is not a passive faith. It is a faith 
But it is not something where we uh, just sit on the sidelines and let other people do the work or let, let the professionals, let the church leaders or, or, or God himself do the work. Instead, God calls us to move and to act. When we move in response to his word, then God moves. When we act, he acts. And that's been the pattern throughout scripture and throughout what I've seen in my life, that God wants to meet us where our faith leads us into action. I want to be very clear that this doesn't mean that our salvation is based on works. That is the distinction between Christianity and other faiths, that our, our faith uh, is a gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it's a very famous passage. It says that, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The Greek grammar, basically, in, in a nutshell, it says that that whole package of salvation, grace through faith, that is all a gift of God. So I don't want us to misunderstand that we have to somehow be good enough to earn God's salvation, but the kind of faith that God wants us to have is a faith that is in movement, in obedience with him. When God gives you that gift of faith, it's our duty to activate it, to grow and cultivate that faith. And, to, and how, do you, how do you grow that faith? You take a step, you take a step of faith and then it will produce this amazing fruitfulness, these results. I have two quotes that I want to share with you to illustrate this. The first, if you go to the next slide, Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers, he's, he's in the Dallas area. He says, God responds when you walk by faith, not when you wish by faith. You see, so many people have a faith that is just in their heads, intellectual but you're not going to necessarily put that, that faith into action until that faith sets into your heart. Even the devil has faith intellectually. He, he believes in God, but obviously the devil doesn't have faith in his heart to trust God and to love God and revere God. And that's why in the book of James, who James is the one who made that point that the devil also believes in God, he said, faith without works is dead. The second quote is similar. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. In our limited vision, limited understanding, we can't see too far into the future. But when God tells us that he is with us and he, he instructs us to go, to move forward, we can trust in that leadership, trust in his faithfulness and move forward. So to God, faith implies movement. The point is that God wants his people to be a people of action. Sometimes in my life, God had to literally take me from one place to another place. And it was in that movement, that transition, where I was more receptive to hearing from God. Sometimes when I'm in a very comfortable, safe place that's familiar, I'm not seeking God or I'm not hearing from God, but it's in that liminal, in-between space throughout Scripture. When, when God tells you to move, to pack up your bags and go, you're living life on the go where you're having to trust God, where you become more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And once he gets your attention, you have to do your part because God is always going to do his part. So then how can we actually move on? Let's look at the next verse, 16. 
not, yeah, Exodus 16, 14, 16. It says, raise your staff. This is God speaking to Moses again. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So how does God save Israel? It's through the raising of the staff and stretching out the hand to divide the sea. Anytime you see a staff in the Old Testament, it signifies authority, discipline, protection. It means all those things, but it also symbolizes the cross. In fact, anytime you see a staff or a tree or, or wood in the Old Testament, I think, what is, what is this telling me, God, about, about the cross and about Jesus? Because the whole Bible is a unified story about Jesus. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, that I've resolved to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. So why did, so uh, how is God's salvation work? How does it work? It is to raise the cross, to exalt Jesus over whatever situation you're going through, and he will allow you to move on. He will give you the strength and the power to move on. And then why is there this sea? Why did the Israelites have to go through the sea? We find this, the answer to this also in Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, that it was this nationwide baptism that God wanted the Israelites to go through. He was redeeming an entire nation through this public demonstration of his might to save Israel. I'll read the verses for you. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the water and in the cloud and in the sea. So to move on and live forward and to live the kind of life that God has called us to live, it's really simple. We look to Jesus, we look to the power of the cross, and we allow his cleansing, his cleansing to wash our hearts so that then we can be set free and it will transform our lives. When God called Moses, he asked Moses, what is in your hand? And it was a staff. God is asking all of us a similar question. What is in your hand? If you're a believer, you already have the power of the gospel. You have the power of the cross and you don't need to be stuck in whatever it is plaguing you and hindering you with this grip of slavery. You have the ability to lift up the cross, exalt Jesus and move on. Now I wanna get really practical here and talk about what is it that we need to move on from specifically. And this is the message that I, I shared with our campus leaders last November, that we have three H's to move on from, hurts, habits, and hangups. And hurts is probably the, the most fundamental or the primary, but I'm gonna talk about that last. And so I wanna talk first about habits. Are you guys always late? Or you guys have this, uh, you guys binge on Netflix, or you can't stop playing a video game. I'm not going to judge you, you know, you, let God convict your, your own spirit. But there are so many habits that sap our potential for greatness. We all have tremendous potential. God created us in his image. But it are, it's these habits that often hold us back. What I want to encourage you is that God has blessed you and anointed you and called you with something too great of a destiny for you to be lackadaisical 
about your habits. Because God wants not just our hearts, he also wants our habits. There's a famous motivational speaker named Jim Ron. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he said, motivation is what gets you started. Habit is what keeps you going. He also wrote, success is nothing more than a few simple disciplines practiced every day. See, motivation is not enough. You have passion, but that's also going to wane. Willpower doesn't work. I became a much better dad when I realized that my kids only have so much willpower. They're, they're going to crumble. They're not going to be able to do what I want them to do just by their own willpower. But you know what does work? Systems work. Structure works. Family works. Discipleship. That's what it's about. It's the discipline of consistently developing godly habits day after day. Because when you're tired or you're up against a big challenge, all the passion, motivation, all the, the, the emotion, that will go out the window. And what's, <clears throat> what's left are your core values. What do you really believe? What is your true belief about your identity? And when, when you get stripped of all these things, what you have built is going to be is what lasts. The power of habits should not be underestimated. I think a lot of times in the modern church, we glorify these great acts of supernatural, miraculous faith. And we overlook the simplicity of the consistent mundane faithfulness of showing up and spending time with God every day and consistently being, seeking God and worshiping him. But God's greatest blessings are reserved for the faithful. If you look throughout the Bible, Abraham walked with God. Simeon, you know, he was faithful in the temple and he was able to therefore receive one of the greatest miracles. The, the people who serve God faithfully are the ones who experience the greatest miracles. There's a little graphic that I wanted to show you that talent is nice to have, but it's all going to get drained out if you have unhealthy habits. Our talents are not enough. You have to plug the holes of these bad habits to achieve success in life. And to me, this is what shepherding is. To take people out of their bad habits one by one, to walk with them in their journey, and to bring them into having good habits that are life-giving and sustaining and empowering, that is the very definition of discipleship. At, in our Every Nation family of churches, that is discipleship. So in your studies, if you're a student, or at your workplace, in your relationships, in your devotionals, it's these, these incremental acts of faithfulness that you demonstrate that will, in the long run, show whether you have lived the life of, that pleases God or not. The next H, and I'm going to go quickly here because I know I'm running out of time. It stands for hang-ups. A hang-up is defined as a permanent or unreasonable anxiety regarding your self-perception. Something, a feature about yourself, like a deep insecurity that prevents you from doing the things that 
you want to do and that God wants you to do. A hang-up might be something that started out as a hurt that you allowed to just fester and it lingered and it created uh, bitterness and it morphed into something that became so ingrained in your soul that it's crippling and causes you to really not be at your best. So whatever your hang-ups might be, God wants us to have the faith to take it, take it on head on and to move on as the situation warrants. For Moses, it was that he had a, like a speech impediment. I don't know exactly what, it, what he had, but he told God, God, you should set some, someone else. I have this speaking problem and I'm not the best spokesperson for you. And so God gave Moses Aaron to go along with him. So it's not that God necessarily took that impediment away, but God said, I will be with you. When Moses said, who am I? God said, I will be with you. And then Moses said, who are you? And then God gave him his name, which is this all-sufficient, powerful God, I am. Similarly, Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh and he pleaded with God three times, God, please take this away from me. And God said, no. And the reason God gave was that my power is perfected in weakness. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so when, I'm, when, I, when I say about hangups, it doesn't mean that like if, if I'm, I don't know, if I'm uh, short or tall or whatever issue I have, it doesn't mean that it's going to change who I am, but God's power will allow me to overcome these, these self-perceptions that I have to allow me to do what he is calling me to do. If you, you're familiar with the passage about Paul and the thorn, uh, you might be wondering what that thorn was. And I did too. And some scholars have speculated that it's that he had bad eyesight or he had some kind of a, a debilitating illness. But I'm really glad that God left that as a mystery, that Paul didn't say in the letter to the Corinthians what that thorn was. Because if he had identified it, all the people in the world who have that same issue would say, okay, I can relate to that with Paul. I have that thorn also. And then everybody else would just dismiss it and say, okay, that doesn't apply to me. But this thorn is universal. You all have some hurt or some issue that you've grown up with that you allowed to just kind of become a part of your identity that shaped or limited your view of what you can accomplish. And God wants us to accept this, these limitations, accept these hangups that we have, but also allow God to heal you and deliver you through it and allow his grace and his strength to shine through. Again, it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect or that we have to be like someone else. Like if I were to compare myself to Pastor Bruce, you know, I would never be able to come up and speak to you. But when you are able to just trust in God and say, God, here are my limitations. Here, here's my talent, my weakness. Just use them for your glory and trust that he is able to do just what he needs to do through you. And the last H are the hurts. I think this is the number one thing that we need to move on from. And that's why I wanted to close with this. I don't want to be insensitive and meet somebody who is really hurting from some situation and say, just move on, you know, just get over it. 
you know, I've, I've done that before in the past and people have, have said that I'm kind of insensitive or unempathetic. And you have to have empathy to, have, to build strong relationships with people. But the truth of the matter is, there is a time to grieve, a time to mourn your loss, whatever it is, to feel the hurt, to, to not just ignore it and sweep it under a rug, but there is a time when you have to move on. You have to stop crying and you have to get up, show up and push through the pain. Some people get addicted to their hurts. They harbor their pain and it's almost like a badge of honor. Like I've been hurt more than you, so I'm a better person than you. And they weaponize their hurts and they use their hurts to justify their toxic behavior toward other people. So yes, hurt people hurt people, but there's a lot more sinful nature going on than that. You can't use your own hurts as an excuse for not taking care of your soul because ultimately God has provided a way, a solution for you to be healed of your hurts and to be set free and to live a wholesome life. The good news, if you've been hurt, is that you're actually in very good company because God says that he is near to the brokenhearted. In Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So you see, God loves to use broken people. He loves to use people who acknowledge their weaknesses and their hangups and even their bad habits. We're more useful to him because we're not trying to seek God's glory, but we're saying, God, you have to do this through me. I have no ability of my own to save myself. Even this, you know, I was saying you have to have faith that propels you to action. But if you had just walked right into the Red Sea on your own, you would not survive. It takes God's saving faith, God's saving miraculous power to bring us out of all of these things. We've all had pain in our lives. And for those of us who have walked in church community for many more years than others, I can guarantee that there have been leaders who you loved and trusted and respected who have hurt you. I think back and I think about the times when I have hurt people in this congregation Maybe some of you are not here. Maybe that's the reason they're not here. <laughs> but if that is you, I'm very sorry about that. I've hurt my wife many times and my kids. The people that are closest to us, we as human beings just inevitably hurt one another, especially in ministry, especially in marriage. You're going to get hurt. But in order to move on, we can't wallow in this self-pity we can't be like the Israelites who had that victim slave mentality because that feels good for a moment for this period where I wallow in my victimhood. But if you linger there, you're never going to be able to move on. You're going to be prone to grumbling, blaming, feeling entitled, behaving exactly as the Israelites did that Moses, you know, you're doing it wrong. And why are you bringing us here? Instead, God says that you are not defined by your life trauma. It's okay to acknowledge and even to feel your pain. And sometimes you have to go to the person that hurt you and you have to explain to them why and how you feel hurt. And they need to, maybe they're not aware of what they did wrong. And I think that's a 
that's a good, healthy step to respectfully have that conversation with the people that hurt you, but let's not linger there. Let's not allow that hurt to fester into bitterness because if you have bitter, bitterness in your heart, your life is going to turn out bitter. It's like the principle, what you sow is what you reap. To me, this third H hurts is principally about forgiveness. And it's such a big deal that the most important day in the Jewish culture is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. This is a day when God offers his forgiveness to his people. But going up to Yom Kippur, you have this, these like uh, 10 days of awe. So I'm not a Jewish cultural expert, but this is a season when the individual thinks about all the times they have hurt someone else or they've been hurt and it's time for them to forgive and seek forgiveness. It's such a big deal that even in the New Testament, when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us, how do we pray? Jesus included forgiveness right in the middle of the perfect prayer. And he emphasized it again, even after teaching the Lord's prayer, he explained it again, that if you forgive others of their sins, God in heaven will forgive you of your sins. But if you don't forgive them of their sins, then God's not going to forgive you of your sins either. Because forgiving is Jesus's way of life. It's the way to wholeness and flourishing. And not only that, the Bible teaches us over and over again that those who have that heart of forgiveness that can be healed from their hurts, they're the ones that get exalted. Joseph is such a great example of this. He had an amazing heart of forgiveness. He forgave his brothers who who basically wanted to murder him, sold him off as a slave, and he became prime minister of Israel. I'm sorry, Egypt. (laughs) William Barclay wrote that when you forgive, you set a prisoner free, that prisoner is you. God wants us to set us free from the bitterness. And again, it is through the power of the cross. Do you know what happened right after Exodus 14, when the Israelites were able to pass the Red Sea? They were wandering in the other side for three days. They didn't have any water. They finally came upon some water, but it was very bitter. They couldn't drink it. And so what did God have Moses do? He threw a piece of wood in the water, and that wood somehow made that water sweet and drinkable. It's the same thing in our lives when there is a bitter situation, when there's something that we just cannot tolerate. We just need to apply the power of the cross apply the power of the gospel, and he will turn whatever situation that you're in into something that is sweet. So to close, I want to take a moment to think about these three H's in our lives, our habits, our hangups, and hurts. Maybe if you think back in your life, there was a traumatic event that wounded you and kind of defined the course of your direction in life or it just so stayed with you that it produced a lot of anxiety or bitterness or something that, um, that God does not want you to hold on to. Maybe it was a parent who let you down or somebody else you, you loved or respected or trusted. In order to win your true freedom and to move on from this situation, you have to learn to forgive. It doesn't mean you have to accept that what they did was okay, but God gives us the solution, a method of forgiving. It's by recognizing that I have also sinned against God. 
And I sinned against God in such an egregious way that it caused God to send his own son to be crucified on the cross to pay the penalty that I deserved and that you deserved so that we could be set free. And when we compare whatever was done to us to what Jesus did, to the salvation that God offers for us, it's that love that gives us hope, that love that gives us the faith and the power to overcome these these adversities in our own lives. Maybe you think that you've forgiven someone, but every once in a while, there's a triggering event and you're reminded of that person and that bitterness, the anxiety springs back up again. When Jesus said, you have to forgive 70 times seven times, it, it means that you forgave back then, but you may also have to forgive now. You have to keep forgiving every time that trigger comes up. That's the way you live your heart just completely free from the pollution of unforgiveness and bitterness in your soul. Again, it might feel impossible to do this on our own, but we just look to the cross. We remember the price he paid to purchase this freedom for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called this church family to greatness. We thank you that you have called us to make a difference in the next generation. You've called us, we have these these fancy slogans, every nation in our generation, every nation, every campus. And these are such daunting tasks. But God, we are a people that want to activate our faith and move with you We don't want to miss out on what you're doing. Lord, you're looking for a people who are willing to move with you, to live forward and not be stuck in the past, to not let the the traumatic events of the past define us and define who we are, but we are a people whose DNA has been fundamentally altered by you, that we're born again, that we are sons and daughters of this living God, this almighty God who has set such a tremendous destiny before us. So I ask, Lord, that you would help us overcome all the things of the past that weigh us down. If there's unforgiveness, if there's any bitterness in our hearts, I pray that you would give us the power of the cross and set us free from these things. Set us free, Lord, that we can run with you, that we can walk with you through the promised land that you have for us. Thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We pray this message spoke to you and built your faith. For more messages like this, visit our website at everynationtaipei.com. You can also send a prayer request and reach out to us anytime. God bless you. Till next time.